Hi, this is Paul Drew and Greg Watts from DWB Music. This is episode one on the DWB Music Publishing Podcast. And what this podcast is, is to guide you, the songwriter, into the murky world of music publishing. Over the coming weeks, months and years, we're going to be interviewing songwriters and publishers to give you the tips and the tools you need to progress in the music business. In this week's podcast, we're interviewing Chris Wortley, who is a songwriter that has sold over three million records. Greg and I met about 13 years ago where we worked for a record company and then we decided to go alone with another songwriter producer called Pete Barringer to start up DWB Music. We started DWB as a platform to get our songs and productions placed with artists and record companies. But little did we know that this journey would take us to having a bunch of talented songwriters signed to our publishing company. And now DWB is one of the most respected, well-known independent publishing companies in the world. And to be honest, it's all down to the talent and the tenacity of this man sitting next to me, Greg Watts. So now DWB has placed over 500 songs to major artists all over the world, and the company and its writers have sold in excess of 60 million songs. So Greg, can you explain to the audience what is music publishing and why it is important for songwriters to have at least a small understanding? Um, I would say there's three different sides to music publishing, um, and the important part for songwriters understanding it is simply that it's their business so you have you need to understand the actual business that you're in so so you can get good deals and then don't and don't suffer um write a great song have a hit and then don't make any money out of it um but the three points of of music publishing i would say are to do with song pitching um, which is where you pitch songs to labels um or artists uh, setting up sessions, which is obviously before that that process, um, so a publisher can set up co-writes for you, for you, and with other writers or with artists, and and then there's the administration side, which is collecting royalties from the actual songs that you make uh, or the cuts that you make. Okay, can I stop you there? What do you mean by cut? Um, a cut is a songwriting terminology for when we place a song with an artist. So. We obviously have many, many songs in the catalogue. Um, when we pitch the song, they're not placed or cut. Um, but when we actually get the song approved by an artist that they're going to release it, we would call that a cut. So tell us how you got into music publishing. Ooh, very long story. Um, I started out as a songwriter. Uh, probably started that when I was 13, 14, writing songs with my brother in the bedroom. But uh, by the way, audience, I've heard some of these. <laughs> They're good. They're good. <laughs> um, in those days, we only had an eight-track ta- Tascam some, 488, I believe it was. Uh, <laughs> and we used to sit there and we'd bounce tracks um, so we actually could write songs. Um, over various... Um, I had various sort of partnerships and songwriting partnerships and, and acts trying to s- sell ourselves to, to music labels. Um, eventually came across Paul and Pete um, and we kind of were working for a record label and a, which asked me to set up the their publishing department. Uh, I kind of had to learn publishing on on the actual run whilst I was doing deals. I remember being out at Midem, which is a music conference uh, that we can sell songs at, or a music conference that lots of the music uh, world meets, and actually making, selling some of the songs, but actually not really knowing the process. So I was reading books, coming home, reading books quickly about contracts. So it was a very quick learning process. Um, and as we set up that publishing company for them, after a while, we decided that it would, a couple of years, we, we made sense that we, Paul, Pete and myself, come out and do our own company, which was about 13 years ago. Uh, awesome. So how many songs do you think you've actually placed? 
Yeah, I should actually sit down and work this out exactly, but I think it's probably around 500. So audience, so when Greg says 500 there, that doesn't mean that Greg has sent out 500 songs. That means that Greg has actually placed 500 individual songs with individual artists. So in line with that, how many songs do you actually think you have pitched? Gosh, um, we must be into the tens of thousands. Um, So when I do a pitch, well, each time I do a pitch, you might pitch between five and ten songs and we do that sort of daily or so you add that up over 13 years we're, we're talking about a, a lot of songs so that's so that's interesting so when you actually get a pitch through so a record company or a management company might send you a pitch through as you'll get an email with this artist is looking for this sort of song so then you send out a brief to people that signed to the publishing company and then they send you the songs yeah because we've been going for 13 years um we've got a vast catalogue of songs and songwriters um so really i send out a brief the briefs that i receive from the labels i send those out to the writers because they know their songs really well i obviously remember a lot of the songs as well but it's good to having a, a backup when we're looking for a brief we tend to get quite a few songs in say we get 20 songs in from writers or there'll be new songs or old songs and I'll sift through the best of those also think of what else there is in the catalogue that I think of and then tend to pick about well between five and ten um and and actually it's not always a solid definite number because sometimes it might be there is only two songs that actually fit it could be that there's 12 songs that fit and I might extend it a bit but it's I, I don't really want to be sending songs that don't fit the brief otherwise you kind of end up the people that you're pitching at kind of don't ask you again. So you really have to sort of narrow it down to a, a good quality. So, yeah, so so they're asking you for songs and then your writers would send you the songs and then you're almost vetting those songs before you send that on to the publisher as you don't want the public... You don't want to lose the reputation of the publisher because you're sending the wrong sort of song. So you're only sending what you believe are the right songs to that particular pitch. Yeah. So again, so I will go through them myself, the songs that I think, and then I'll have suggestions and some of those suggestions I'll filter through because sometimes the, I, I will have missed those songs or a writer knows it better than I do and I'd be, and it'd be like, oh yeah, I'd, you know, I'd forgotten about that one or, or so I can, it's almost like a, I'm persuaded by, by that. But um, yeah, you have to have the quality really high. Otherwise, people never come back to you again because you've sent the wrong stuff. So Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Okay, tell us about um the current projects that you're working on i mean obviously you can't there's obviously some details that you're not allowed to give but tell us about some of the projects that you are allowed to give details on um well we've recently i've recently been working with the bbc on uk's you decide um which is basically i was the music consultant for that which involved a lot of sifting through songs can i can i just ask what you decide is so you decide is the, the show that um, showcases six artists and the winner of that goes to Eurovision as the UK representative. So Eurovision being the European stroke extra countries that are involved as well. Uh, For us, it's a songwriting contest that's held in Europe or actually this year it's actually held in Tel Aviv isn't it? Yes it's in Tel Aviv but the rules are you have to be a member of the EBU which is European Broadcasting Union. It's actually nothing to do with Europe itself 
although that's where it started so hence we have australia involved as well so <laughs> so, so, so tell us about that process so you've yes um so we did several things we had public submissions that came through a bbc website in the sense i had to listen to hundreds of those um i also as music consultant went out um and did songwriting camps um and i also sent out briefs to people that i knew from who were good at it people uk publishers um european publishers um to actually receive songs for that and then it was a good couple of months of listening to lots and lots of songs i think it's about 700 in total we got for that so even though the song contest is called You Decide and it's for the UK entry for Eurovision. You still sent those pitches out to to um, um, other European countries? Yes. Um, each country has different rules for who, what, I guess what their, so how their nationality is decided. So sometimes it's about the artist. Sometimes it's literally about the delegation that organises it. Sometimes it's about the songwriters. Uh, for the UK this year, it was about the artist. Um, so actually, you could find songs from anywhere in the world. I see. So it's um, so the UK side of the competition, the artists had to come from the UK. Yeah. So the, the songwriters didn't have to come from the UK. Yeah, that's true. That's correct. There was no definite. They might, the art, the songwriters must be from the UK. It was good if they were, of course. Yeah, you know, we had. Um, yeah, yeah. How many? Yeah, that's that's a good question. So, I how think many? Out of, I think it was about half of the songwriters were from UK. Um, actually, the the winning song, uh, there was two, three Swedes and one Canadian. But the Canadian has uh, parents from Liverpool, and then one of the Swedes has also, I think, a parent from Liverpool as well. Which, oh right. Um, so, so there was UK connections in the. So they had UK passports, as, as it were. Uh, Laurel Barker has a UK passport, which she's told me many times, yes. Okay, so that's Eurovision. Tell us about some other projects that are going on at the moment. So um, I'm also working on uh, several song pitches um, into Asia and Europe, um, lots of high-profile acts. Um, we're also running a K-pop camp. Um, K-pop? Uh, what is K-pop? K-pop is Korean pop. Okay. Um, so we do a lot of that. Um, a lot of big artists. You probably heard of people like BTS or uh, Girls Generation, who actually, or Twice, who actually um, not just aren't, aren't just successful in Korea. They actually come out of Korea and have number one records in the world. Yeah, yeah. So that was an interesting thing. So I remember last year, BTS sort of blew up in Western countries, and it, and 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 it wasn't just like in a small way. It went absolutely bonkers didn't it it was like yeah, a massive it was, um it's a, a whole movement in itself i think k-pop it's uh, almost yeah i think the western world has, thinks it's had its had its own way for quite a while western music and i think uh asian music is on the way out of asia particularly korea so let me get this right so this is asian artists so that come from japan korea especially that are singing in their native language that are selling songs and selling albums in the UK, America, Europe, etc. Yeah, I think it's particularly Korea at the moment. Why? Why Korea more than Japan? Um, I think Korea has kind of very much mixed itself with Western music. So there's, it's almost like a hybrid. So we, uh, we understand it more. And I think also there's a mentality in Korea where they do want to send the music out to the rest of the world. Um, and that, I know that goes back to government investment and culture as well where they actually, you know, they, they want to get Korean culture into into the into the world. I believe places like Japan have got such a big home market, if that makes sense, yeah. that uh, 
they they don't feel the need to go out and also i think maybe that's part of their culture that's not sort of don't they don't need to spread out into the world but certainly korean culture government is investing heavily in in taking out of korea as well so and that's probably going to go on to another podcast because uh the japanese stroke korean music industry is very different to our western market where they still sell a lot of cds and it's a huge market it's very profitable for songwriters so we'll definitely do a podcast on that at a later date so um enough talking about you greg let's bring in the all singing all dancing christopher wortley and have a chat with him so chris tell us how you got into songwriting and more specifically pop songwriting Okay, well, I started out um, thinking about writing songs. Well, I've done music kind of all my life. I, I learned the piano when I was a child and things, sang a bit in school. And so I, I remember my first attempt to write a song was, uh, oh, I was about 19. It was to impress a girl. Um, and it, that was that went quite oh, well, oh, actually. Oh, it, it did go well. <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah, no, okay. that's, that's, that's a good story. But the is song was the rubbish. Current, and is this the current... The, the current... <laughs> No. It's not. Okay. <laughs> didn't, didn't go that well. Really. <laughs> uh, and then I tried some on and off other other moments. I thought, oh, I could write a song. I tried Eurovision in back in the days of Jonathan King. And uh, you just had to write a song and send it in. So I tried that. Uh, never heard anything back. So I've, I've, I've no idea if uh, that was a good song or not. Um, but it was hard because I had a proper job. Um, and when every now and again I might think, oh, yes, now I'm going to write a song. But it was it was late at night and I had to get up the next morning and, and I, I felt I couldn't concentrate on it. It wasn't until um, ooh, 15 years ago that I had the chance to really just clear the decks and just write songs. And I started out with um, what I was familiar with, which was um, songs for musical theatre, cabaret songs, sort of comic songs, the, the sort of thing Victoria Wood used to write, um, Flanders of Swan for those who are old enough to remember that, Tom Lehrer. Those were the sort of comic songs I was trying to write. Um, and I've got some friends who do cabaret and things, and they sang some of the songs. And I, I did all right with the musicals, at least in the amateur world. Um, but I thought, wouldn't it be good to write pop songs? And I had no idea how to do it. I knew they were different. I knew, I knew it wasn't exactly the same. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> I knew I needed help to learn what, what, what the difference was. Still the same notes. You still only got 12 notes, and it's still words but uh, I, I, I thought about it for a while couldn't think what to do and then I just with an internet search found DWB and I what did I send you I sent you well, that's, a, a package that's a story in itself I think well, it, it is a story in itself but I think this is this is the interesting story so when we met Chris we got a package through one day so myself Greg and Pete were in the studio and a package came through and in the package was uh, for the UK listeners. There was a packet of PG tips, like which which is a which, which is a, a British brand of tea. Other great brands are available. They are, other great brands are available. Although, if you want to sponsor us, PG tips. We'll be right <laughs> uh, and there were three mugs. Yes. Um, my mug said "Songs by Paul, Tea by Chris, and no, Greg's Tea was, by Monkey." Wasn't tea, it? By oh, monkey. Tea, tea by Monkey. And that's because in the box was a monkey, a, t- a PG Tips monkey. Yeah, it was a giant PG Tips monkey, which I must say my son absolutely loves, and and, and it's sitting on his uh, sitting on his chair at the moment. Oh, that's is, good to hear. Yeah, he loves it's, it. He hasn't pulled the arms off or anything. Not yet. Okay. Not yet. No, no, he does love it. So I think that's quite an interesting thing to talk about. Quite a few times we've been approached as a publishing company uh, with writers wanting to get involved with us. And when Chris sent through this package, it was immediately 
we wanted to work with Chris and it wasn't because he sent us a package, it's because he did something different. And I think that's a really important thing. If you're gonna phone up a publishing company or phone up a management company, how are you gonna get noticed? You know, you know these, these companies get, get tens of calls every single day and Chris did something different, which made him noticed by us and us wanna call Chris and get Chris down. And you did. You called yeah. me the very same day. Well, tell us the idea of the tea, though, because this, you know, because this is a bit of an extra story. So, I think it's a complete non-story. You want you want <laughs> me to tell you that I sold myself to you on the basis that I could come and make tea for you, and Chris. then my tea turned out to be rubbish. It did, but, but it did. I think that's completely irrelevant. My, <laughs> my tea making skills are not at issue here. <laughs> How many cups of tea have you made today? Absolutely none. How long have you been here? Uh, nine and a half years. Yeah. <laughs> so he did something right, but it wasn't making the it wasn't tea. Making the tea was it? <laughs> but the principle was there. I, I mean, as Paul said, yeah, I, I mean, I, I've, I've been in business in, in a completely different world. And, so, and so I was going to ask about that. Can I, can I ask what you did before you became a songwriter? I had my own company. It was a management company, management uh, consultancy specialising in IT. And uh, we made, well, we, we didn't do software ourselves. We worked for big organisations who had big software projects and we helped them make sure those projects were successful. Now, what do you consider to be your greatest achievement as a songwriter? That's a good question. Um, from my own, I can only answer that from what's given me the most Absolutely. satisfaction. Um, that I can think of two or three things, but I'm going to go for a year ago, I was sitting in Tokyo Dome in in Tokyo uh, with um, 55,000 other people and the guys on the stage TVXQ were singing a song I'd co-written and everyone in the stadium was singing along waving their light sticks and I don't think it gets much better than that as a songwriter maybe an Ivan Novella award but you know well that's coming hopefully <laughs> I, I, think, I, I agree I think the people singing your song is the, the biggest thing that you can actually yeah get it is back. and funnily enough I'd, I'd had that in the old in the old days when I was writing cabaret songs um, I got the same pleasure from sitting in the audience just 100 people and having people laugh at a joke I'd written in a mm. song it's the same it's the same thing people don't know who you are they're sit, but they're sitting next to you and they're responding to something on the stage I like that anonymity actually I, I don't want to be on the stage being fated for what I've done. I like the fact that people are enjoying something that I helped create. And then you can, you can in your mind, you can go backwards. You can say, here I am in Tokyo Dome. Now, how did that happen? Well, uh, the stage before that was when the band, the label and the band decided to do the song. Well, what happened before that? Well, they, they asked people to pitch songs. What happened? You know, that, that's when we... And I can remember sitting down and writing the song. I remember how we iterated around, how we got to the final version that was pitched. Um, and all of that sort of comes into your mind at, the, at that moment. How did, how did this happen? So that's interesting. So, so from the moment the song was written, or from the day the song mm. was written, how long was it? 18 months. 18 months. Mm -hmm. from, and did you, did you write the song specifically for that pitch? We, we did. And, and uh, I'm sure you know... Um, that isn't that common. I, we often write songs to pitches, you know, leads that say, we want a song that's exactly like this or, you know, has a cross between these two songs and we, we rack our brains and we, we try hard to make uh, the song exactly like it, uh, we're being asked to do and quite often that doesn't work. Either, either 
the lead is misleading in the first place or or we just don't get it right. But on this particular occasion, it, it was exactly that. They said they wanted something. It was for relaunch. TVXQ had been, um, the, the guys uh, are Korean and they had to do their military service, which meant they had a two-year break in their career and the label was obviously very uh, keen that they should be able to pick up where they left off and they wanted a, a relaunch song. So I came up with the idea that the song would be called Reboot because it was rebooting their career. And um, so when I was sitting there, seeing them all, you know, seeing, seeing them singing the song, seeing everyone enjoying it, and the reboot theme was was working. This was their relaunch tour. And that was enormously satisfying because everything had fallen into place. You know, the, the, the lead made sense. We, we, we managed to make something that fitted the lead. They got it. They sang it. Everything made sense. It, it doesn't always work like that. Like you asked me, you know, what was a what was a great moment? Yeah, yeah. I think for all those reasons, that was extra good. Yeah. And um, Greg might know this. Um, how many copies has that sold? Oh, Chris probably knows this better than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably <laughs> probably does. The list, man, probably two hundred fifty thousand uh, on that one. Am I or am I? Well, the the single was one hundred and fifty thousand. I yeah. think. Um, uh, it's also got an album which went to number one. It's, uh, I mean, from a songwriter's point of view, uh, I don't know if you've been talking about this in the, in the yeah. podcasts about um, the Asian market, but for reasons nobody quite understands, in Asia, people still buy physical copies of things. So CDs, DVDs uh, are still a big thing. Um, so when I say 150,000, that's not downloads, that's, that's physical CDs. Um, and with a single... Uh, you get many bites of the cherry because you get the single, you get... Uh, then, they, then they went on tour. This was their opening song on the tour. So, so you're earning money from, from them singing your song on the tour? On the tour, absolutely. Right. Uh, then they make a DVD of the tour and all the fans buy the DVD as well. That sold another 150,000, I think. Um, then they put it on an album and the album went to number one. So you get the sales of the, of the album. And, and, and how, many, how many albums? I, I can't remember the figure for the album. That was not often I think we must, if you add those together, we're on about half a million, 600,000. Yeah, that kind, of, that kind of order. Yeah. And if you think about that, in today's market, that is unbelievable. It is. I mean, my, my biggest seller was I had a cut on an Arashi album, which they're, they're a, a J-pop band. I think they're the biggest boy band in Japan. And, and they sold a million. Um, and in an idle moment, I, I imagined a million CDs. And if you put them on top of each other, that's higher than Everest. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and just for the audience, just so they know, uh, K-pop and J-pop music, these albums, when they sell, they become number one, the number one selling album in the world. Isn't Certainly the Arashi one was, yes. Yeah. Because, well, if it, those, that million gets sold almost in the first 24 hours. So for, for that moment... Um, even even the big names in America can't begin to outgun um, the, the the sales of those albums. Yeah, that's incredible. And let's put this in perspective as well, because Chris is not a twenty-year-old, you know, spring chicken songwriter at all. You, you know, what are you Greg saying? is. What are you saying? Uh, well, I'm not saying you're a pensioner. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm trying to get. I'm trying to get across that. I'm old. I've, I've, I've got into this late uh, because that's how I was explaining it. I mean, I, m- nearly all the people I've met since I've been with DWB and I must have worked with 200 songwriters. I should. I was trying to add it up the other day. Uh, I should think I've worked with 200 songwriters. Most of them are, are young and, and many, many are trying to do what is really hard, which is to try and be a songwriter, get into songwriting, dedicate all the time and energy you need to do that. And at the same time, earn, a, earn enough to live. 
Um, and I did it the other way around. I, I had a, a job that was well paid and, and I put aside enough money so that I could then concentrate on the songwriting. But it does mean I'm, I'm yeah, pensioner. <laughs> but you're not a pensioner. No. You're not a pensioner. <laughs> and He's not as old as Pete, is he? I am. Are you? Oh, I am. You could at least sit there one year younger. <laughs> I'm even, old, even, even older than Pete. <laughs> so I think that's the point. I think, but I don't have my hair in a ponytail. Yeah, that yeah. is that is a bit of a shame about Pete. Luckily, this is a podcast. <laughs> yeah. a yes, luckily. I thought yeah. it was going to be a video. I, I, I wore my best frock and, and everything. You, you've had a you perm did. as well. Yeah. You did. Yeah. Um, so you know, I think it's an interesting point. You don't have to be a 20-year-old. So if you've got a dream to be the songwriter and you're, you know, and, and you're outside your twenties, outside your thirties. It isn't a no, is it? It's you can still do that, this. That is very true. It's not. This. It's not like a, an artist, which is generally a young exactly. person's game. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking about Laurel, who um, just won the UK. Um, what we were talking about earlier, the, U, the UK Eurovision. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you decide program um, isn't. She won't mind me saying she isn't young. I think she's close to forty, and uh, yeah. but and she's had a real renaissance, sort of like in, in the late thirties, as a really great song songwriter. If you think about Sia. So yeah. it's not yeah. not young. It no. It's not all about being young these days. There is a lot about that in a sense, but I think that you can get past that as well if you are really talented, really driven, and yeah, I mean, in, in principle, right you could write songs forever. Um, there's nothing intrinsically that that has has you have to be young for. I mean, so long as you've got an ear for what what's out there and what needs to be written, yeah. um, and and the market isn't uniform as well. So there's lots of I'm sure um, there are some asp- some types of, of pop music, current pop music, that people who are younger will find much more easy to write for because it it's just in their that's yeah. what they're growing up with and they're, they're used to. Um, whereas I grew up with a, with in in the 70s and I like yeah. Queen and Meatloaf, um, <laughs> <laughs> so so I'll, I'll have to be have to be reined back from doing too much Queen and Meatloaf. But it but then that's helped me as well because Asia has a slightly theatrical feel to it and uh, it's helped me with Eurovision. So. There's still there are still people write wanting songs of many different types. So I, I would say um, age shouldn't shouldn't be a, a limiting factor. No, we're tending to find as the company's got older ourselves, in a sense, we're tending to find that we gather a lot of younger songwriters who have a current sound, but they really need the older experienced ones, and the older experienced ones really need the younger. So there is a real combination of yeah. ages in in, in DWB itself, in a sense. So at what point did you realise that you could do this as a career? That's, that's a good question. Um, I remember my first cut, which was uh, reasonably soon. Into, I, mean, I, I don't think we talked quite... We haven't covered the gap between me arriving to make tea and to the point when I was actually writing yes. songs. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose that took about a year. So I hung, I hung around the studio a couple of days a week, making tea and watching what you did and seeing the difference between pop songs and musical theatre. As I say, I wasn't... I wasn't uh, ignorant about writing songs completely. I, I knew roughly how to do it. It was the difference between the musical theatre and the pop songs. Um, but I sort of slowly got the hang of that and tried things out and you you were helpful in saying, oh, that's no good or that's a bit better and so on. And I think it was about a year, year and a half in that you s- started letting me write with you on a more, pro- you know, more, more, not just trying things out, but actually being a writer. And I think you signed me... Um, as, a, as a writer after about 18 months, was it? 18 months, two years? I'm trying to remember. Um, and it was about that time I got my first cut, so that was very exciting. Who was that with? That was uh, a, a Swedish band um, called... 
Ida, was it? Ida, Ida that's right. Ida. But it's confusing because yes. her name was Ida and the band's name was IDA. Yes, yes. The, yeah. Um, so it wasn't a big cut, but it was a real cut in Sweden. Um, and that was very encouraging. I think that, that would be the word. Yeah. I'm not sure I knew I could make a career out of it at that point. Um, and then I had a spate of getting some small cuts and then one big cut with that same band we were talking about earlier, TVXQ. That was a, a big cut in Japan. And that was... Um, suddenly the money was in the thousands instead of in the pennies. And so I thought, ooh, you can actually make money out of it. Okay, what is your best and worst experience you've ever had in a studio? This is and, and you don't have to give names, you don't have to give names. But... <laughs> it's on the spot, isn't it? This, this is like a job interview where you have to, you know, what are your strengths and weaknesses? And, well. you, and if you say, oh, I haven't got any weaknesses, you don't get the job. And if you say, I've got loads of weaknesses, you still don't get the job. It's like a ducking stool. <laughs> um well, no, but we've all had, we've all had, I mean, I've definitely had experiences where I've been in the studio and... And you wanted to pull your hair out. Yeah, yeah. And if, and, yeah, for that the audience... That happened, huh? It is, yeah. For the audience, I'm as, uh, well, I'm, I'm near enough as bald as a coot. <laughs> <laughs> well, give, us, give us the best first. No, you put me on the spot. I, I can't think of a particular really good moment in the studio. I, 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 I no, <laughs> I, I, I'm quite serious. <laughs> Every time... I get in the room and write a song with a group of people. I'm amazed at the whole process. I'm amazed that you can do it at all. I try to describe it to my friends who don't write songs. And I say, well, we, you know, yesterday, three of us wrote a song. And this look of complete incomprehension comes over people's faces. Well, well how do you mean you wrote a song? What, 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 you came up with some words? No, no, a song, a whole song. Oh, what, what, what did you do? Who did what? How, how did that work? Um, how, how can you do that if you don't even know each other, is, the, is one <laughs> of the questions. Um, so, although I've done it many, many times, and I think my friends are, are being unimaginative, I must admit, even I am still surprised at the end of every writing session that, we've, that, that a song that did not exist when we started now does exist. I think that's an amazing process. Uh, particularly um, if you haven't worked with someone before. But sometimes that, that makes it even better because you're not sort of building on no assumptions. You're not kind of trying to do it like before. You're just starting from scratch. You go in, you, you have a, an hour's discussion about what kind of song you're trying to write. And then um, because I'm lucky enough to work with very talented people, out comes a, a song. That's fantastic. Every, every time it's fantastic. Yeah. I think that's... I think maybe the audience might not realise this as well, but um, majority of these writing sessions, everything's done in a day, apart from the final mix, Yeah, I, I would yeah. say. So if there's a vocalist, which the majority of writing sessions, there's someone who is the demo vocalist or even the, the final vocalist. Uh, these songs are normally written from scratch and produced in a day. And there's a rough mix at the end of the day. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the rough mix, what would you say, Greg? Would you say the rough mix is... Normally, 80% there, isn't it? Yeah, depending on the producer and how quick they are on the day. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but vocally, we always try to get the vocal recorded because that's the, once that's done, the producer can go and sort of do magic and work for a few days afterwards, in a sense, to, to make it sound like more like a record. Um, but yeah, I'd say 70%, 80% of it is pretty much... Yeah, so I'm, I'm just trying to think of a... The, to give the listeners a, a feel for how, how can that be. So we might start at 10, 10.30 on, on a day... Uh, some, sometimes there's a head start because you might start with a track that a producer's already done, but often not. By 12 o'clock, you might have um, a track that uh, 
so by which we mean the music, the chords, the some of the instruments are there. Not not all of it, but you've got a track that you could work to. Probably have a melody as well. Um, maybe maybe by one stop have a quick lunch, then start working on lyrics, couple of hours on lyrics, start recording three or four in the afternoon, finish by six. So that's mad, isn't it? If you think that you sold on that Rashi album, you know, you you wrote a song basically. Yeah, and, and that, that particular song is exactly what we did. We, 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 we didn't have anything to start with. Um, uh, we, we, we met up at one of the writer's uh, house. We... Um, Started kind of been before ten thirty. Uh, I seem to remember going over about six. Uh, everything was done. That, so that ten, th- ten thirty till six and sold a million. That is and, and now, to be fair, James, as you say, that th- he was the producer and he did sure. a little bit of work on it afterwards. Well, I don't know how much work, but we're talking in there maybe another half day or a day. God, it's incredible, isn't it? It is, but but of course, listeners, there are some downsides, and there are all those wonderful songs that you come out of sessions thinking that is fantastic i'm so pleased i'm so proud of that song and no one ever sings it hmm. no label wants it nobody sings it it just but you still created it in a day you did still create <laughs> it in a day, which it which is a great thing but uh it, it to me that's the that is the downside of this this thing the, the you know successful songwriters are are what would you say one in one in ten is is still successful probably Less, but mm. we don't get to hear about them, or maybe they don't finish those other songs in yeah. a sense. But yeah, it's it's not every song that gets cut. I think yeah. there's a, a high ratio of non non cuts. Yeah, so fantastic for the ones that do get cut. Disappointing for the for the ones that end up. But what the, the the only upside on that, I suppose, is you don't know for certain that the song will never no, be I mean, cut because many of cuts I've had have been, been, have been three, yeah. four, five years yeah. later after you wrote it. We so. had one which was seven years later recently, and it was kind of like so you can you never know whether the projects out there that you you know you've written for a project it doesn't get taken, but another one appears later and suddenly mm. your song's alive again, um, and that can be with you know music fashion and music. Styles coming round back round again, in a or sense. just new ears. Someone, um, somebody, an A and R changes in a place. Yes, I remember a few years, years ago where suddenly I was allowed to sing on demos again. <laughs> all the A and R's reached uh, sort of like their late thirties, and they, you know, they were into Duran Duran and Depeche Mode, and <laughs> suddenly they were your, trying to recreate that's your them. Era. I've been banned again recently, again. So, but yeah, but yeah there was a, there, at least a year era I could come out of. Definitely banned. Yeah, definitely banned. So, any bad experiences that you care to share? I mean, I've had and I've had some horrific studio sessions, but majority, you know, ninety nine percent of sessions are fantastic and everyone enjoys it. You don't have to give any names, or you just yeah. say no. I'm always. I I think I must be lucky. You're definitely I, I really you're wow. not a person. Uh, I can think of one session. one I was on a camp where you you were coming out pulling your hair a little bit. And you were there, and I was going. Come on, come for food at ten o'clock, and you were still, you were still going. <laughs> so the point I'm trying okay. to get. Okay. Yeah, yes, I suppose there have been sessions that have been frustrating that we haven't quite got to where we want to be. But I, I'm, I'm not seeing that as a bad experience. I, I, I just say it's a bit. It can be a bit frustrating sometimes, but it's that's rare. That is rare. Okay. Uh, so last question. <clears throat> What is the single piece of advice you can give to upcoming songwriters? I, I, I'm, I'm hesitating because I think it's a difficult question. I, I think people write songs for different reasons. I think many, many people want to write songs, 
but some want to do it for very personal reasons. They just want to express themselves through song, just as some people write poems or... Almost or, like therapy. Almost, yeah, therapy or, or just... Or, or like people sketch trees. It's, it's a way of expressing yourself, a way of being creative, a way of um, saying something that you want to say. Um, and this, that's slightly different from advice to someone who wants to make a career as a professional songwriter, a jobbing Okay, let's go for that. Let's go for that question. Like, what advice would you give to someone that wants to make their their career as a jobbing professional songwriter? I would say find a way to collaborate with people and learn to co-write. Learning to let go. I I was really used to writing songs on my own. I I might collaborate with someone, but I'd still work separately. So I'd work on the music while someone else did lyrics or vice versa. Mm -hmm. Working together in a room, all working on everything is I found hard, but as soon as I learned how to do it, to learn to let, let go of... Because it's, it's thrilling, if, particularly if you're in a room where you, you feel the other people are more, much more experienced than you and much more talented or, or whatever, and, and someone likes your idea. Oh, that's a nice chorus idea. That's great, Chris. For that achievement. Half an hour later, someone else is saying, do you know what, now I've got a new idea for the chorus. And the temptation is to shout and say, well, but I thought you liked my idea. Why would I keep that? And you've got to to listen to what someone says, because if their idea is better and it's a better chorus, go with it. That's hard to learn, but it's so rewarding in the end, because you will come out with something better than any one of you could have done on your own. And maybe it was your idea that gave them their idea. And then maybe there'll be a third idea on top of that. So you're all pushing each other's levels up. Is exactly. Yes. Yeah. And uh, yes. So learn to let people push your level up um, and, and you'll reap the reward of that. That would be my advice. I mean, I'd agree with that. I, I remember one of the big things I've sort of built my own career on or philosophy on was reading, um, I think it was Paul McCartney's book where he mm. talked about his co-writing with John Lennon. Um, and how they, you know, at the beginning they wrote songs, but after a while they didn't write, sorry, they wrote songs together. After a while they they didn't write songs together, but he just, Paul McCartney would come in with an amazing song that he'd written. And because they were both credited as Lennon and McCartney, he, the world thought it was Lennon and McCartney, but he inside was like, wow, John, you know, Paul McCartney's just written this amazing one. I need to go and write something amazing. <laughs> he'd go and write something amazing, come back and Paul would go, oh, I need to go. You know, so you saw them push each other up a level every time different kind of co-writing but is that slightly different is that's pushing each other song by song yes and I but, suppose there's, but there's an element of you know that someone else is i don't know driving you on because you're a team in yeah. a sense so. yeah. the, the other advice i would give is um you could have the best song in the world sitting in you could have um yesterday to think of paul mccartney yeah. sitting in your drawer mm-hmm. so what if, if what you want to be is a professional songwriter, you have got to find ways of getting your songs out to uh, professional artists. And how would you, you know, how do you do well, that? Well, the route I did was, was to find you guys. It's, um, you need a publisher or another mechanism that's similar to a publisher. Publishers do lots of things. Um, uh, they, they uh, but the thing that, is really important from from a, a building your career point of view is they put you together with other songwriters and then they pitch the songs and uh, you might think well I could pitch the songs myself but I don't think so you, 
if you are th- put yourself in the shoes of a of a big record label, an A and R and a big record label, you're you're looking after the, some big artists. You need to find some songs from them. You don't put something out on the internet saying, please send me your songs, because you get thousands and thousands and thousands. Mm-hmm. Some of them might be brilliant, but you have no way of filtering them other than listening to a thousand songs, and nobody's got time to do that. And the only way A&Rs can work is to have trusted sources. And the whole of the music industry, this is what I've learned um, after working with Greg for many years, is the whole of the music industry is built on a series of relationships of trust. So I... Tr- I and A&R, I trust these publishers to uh, listen to what I'm saying and to send me relevant stuff. And those publishers might trust other people and they trust songwriters. So you have to be somewhere in that chain to, to get your songs in front of people. So I think that's a perfect ending. So um, I've been Paul Drew. My name's Greg Watts. <laughs> and I'm Chris Wortley, otherwise known as the tea maker extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been listening to the DWB Music Publishing Podcast.